Welcome to Radio Free Murktown, a podcast focusing on and funded by the gaming community at ExplorersUnlimited.com. More than just another play-by-post website, Explorers Unlimited is one of the world's largest online communities of Palladium Books fans who are taking part in a single epic storyline in each dimension, within which all player characters can interact. Explorers Unlimited, where the only thing missing from the greatest adventures ever imagined is you. And now here's the host of Radio Free Murktown, Lloyd Ritchie. Welcome to another episode of Radio Free Murktown, number 33. I'm your host, as always, Lloyd, a.k.a. Augur and Jezebel, and our perennial guest, uh, John, a.k.a. Consumer, is with us. John, say hello to the folks. Hello, folks. It's John, also known as Consumer, and about 7,000 other characters. It's fun. Yes, the man of many different personalities is on today, and I might also add, uh, we have uh, a number of interesting uh, topics. We're going to take a stab at a, at a different and suggested uh, listener topic suggestion. Um, and that is an adventure spotlight. So we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, we also have uh, new patron shout-outs, as well as educating savages, uh, Rift's lore, uh, C.S. Ironheart being the geography in question today, and a listener topic suggestion, what makes a good character background. We'll see how much of this we can cover. So a shout-out to Matt Storm, R.C. Brooks, Michael Morrison, and uh, Justin Mon, who uh, all kind of edited their pledges in uh, different ways. And a serious shout-out to Eric Rountree, who is back as a quasi-new patron. <laughs> He's a returning patron. Okay, so that'll require it. So shall we dive into uh, C.S. Ironheart first and foremost, John? Yeah, that works. All right, well, why don't you I get us... I always did, like, uh, C.S. Up. Canada. You want to get us started with that? Well, C.S. Iron... I'm sorry, what? Yeah, we're getting a little lag. Don't worry, I'll be editing. Uh, so you want to get us started with C.S. Ironheart? Uh, tell us what you what you what you know. Uh, some general stuff there, John. Well, C.S. Ironheart started off as an independent kingdom. Uh, it was founded by a group of engineers who had survived the apocalypse and pretty much kept up the constant building of things uh, up until I want to say about 104 PA, maybe 105 during Prosek's campaign of unity. They um, basically the CS marched in, took control of it, and turned it into now what we'd like to call the industrial heart of the coalition. Uh, they are probably the most technologically flexible part of the coalition that I know of, seeing as they actually design new versions of things. And most of their navy is either from them or Golden Age weaponsmiths. I know that there's a group of mercenaries who are from CS Ironheart before it became the CS, and they are not exactly friends of the CS at this point. Uh, all in all, it kind of makes me think of like the Rust Belt of the United States today, where it's just a bunch of smoke-belching factories and general you know, manufacturing thought process. So to cover what, uh, what is actually in the old-school main rulebook uh, from, like, what, 91, I guess... Uh, the state itself covers a vast territory of wilderness that ranges from North Bay, west of the Ottawa River, west of Lake Nipigon, I hope I got that right, probably not, and north to James Bay, the eastern half of the old Ontario province, and the southwest tip southwest tip of the province of Quebec. It includes several farming, uh, hunt, hunting, fishing, mining towns, uh, about 700,000 humans. 100,000 non-humans, and 100,000 squatters. So that's your basic uh, demography and geography. It's uh, It, it kind of it does ac- occupy 
a bit of the rust belt as we know it now. That is very true. I was the whenever everybody talks about CS Ironheart, it's kind of like it's there and everybody knows about it, but nobody really ever talks about it because I don't. I, other than like in one game I play in, there's one character who's from Ironheart, and they don't even talk about their their background. Because to be honest, I mean, it in the original main book it was a blurb, and then in the CS uh, Coalition War campaign it's another blurb. Like it just gets little blurbs. It never gets like a full write-up, which is kind of sad considering the wealth it could offer. But I think the it's an interesting place that is very underdeveloped. Yeah, what I would like to see is uh like the capital of Ironheart. Uh, it's built on the old remains of Sudbury in in uh, Canada. Um, it's called the City of Iron now. Uh, it's like a rough and in, rough and tough uh, industrial town. Um, I'd like to see that like explored perhaps because it sounds like a, not a um, steampunky, but like a real industrial kind of area. And you don't see too much exploration of that, um, in, in like riffs games, uh, especially since it's like, uh, it, it's like the heart of the in, uh, technological innovation area, if you will. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you look at a lot of the, the cities that get flushed out there, either, basically your atypical modern city today or they're your frontier town and that's that's a weird in between there if you think about it where it's more of like just this industrial place where you can you could really run an entire campaign set in there and people could enjoy the well maybe not enjoy the misery that is an industrial center <laughs> yeah they it's it's kind of like described as like a, about a hundred years behind chai town in technology but it has this uh, old uh, science museum uh, called Science North that uh, it's uh, it's part and parcel of the town or the city of iron. Uh, so it, I think that's an interesting, I don't know, a little bit of it. Like there's, there's technological secrets to be discovered. Uh, there's, you know, archaeological uh, ex- excavation going on up there and stuff like that. You know, which, you know, their agreement is being part of the CS network is like to send all, anything they find down to Chai Town, which sets up like a perpetual uh, dominance hierarchy, wherein Chai Town always stays ahead of them because they get all their discoveries as well. It's really, I don't know, it's kind of interesting. Yep, it does seem like it's full of a wealth of adventures for those GMs who are willing to do a little extra legwork. Yeah, that's the, that is the one thing uh, I think you got with this uh, setting is the GM's gonna have to do a little creative work of his own because unlike you know Chai Town or Phase World on or Center on Phase World or something like that, there's not a lot there, so you get to kind of fill it in, which you know that's a blessing and a curse, right? It is because either you can be as vague as you want and just be like, yeah, you're in the town and you're on this particular street and there's some stuff there, but or you can go as detailed as say trying to recreate the concept that how the Merktown book's written with hundreds of shops and personalities and things like that. Which, if you got time, good. I mean, that, I, I usually end up more on the vague end where it's like, all right, you're in town. Here's the place you're at right now. Yeah, I like to focus on uh, establishing the aesthetics and you know of of a town. You know that requires a lot of adjectives, but not a lot of content you know what i mean uh so that players imaginations can kind of uh fill in the gaps um 
so establish the aesthetics and then the mood or tone of a place. So like in like if uh, if I stuffed a group into into Chai Town, you know the aesthetics would be uh, dark, you know, uh, really dense, and also a pervasive sense of like being watched, uh, a surveillance state. You know, uh, whereas with Ironheart, I think maybe I'd go more for more open, uh, less less of a surveillance state because they fundamentally are lacking in the technology and the uh, uh, what do you want to call it the the population density because it's a it's a sprawling industrial city as opposed to that walled in technological nightmare um, and you know kind of more of a 19th century London kind of feel of smoke belching factories and stuff like that. I would also add a general malaise of like possible disease and things like that. Stuff you would find in 19th century London a lot. Whereas like, you never know. There's guys coughing out their lungs because they have, I don't know, some sort of coal miner disease or something. Things like that happen in industrial towns. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and plus you get the, 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 the mood, uh, you know, as opposed to being, you know, that surveillance state. You'd have more of a rough and tumble kind of uh, kind of atmosphere since it's an industrial town, so they're putting up with a lot less bullshit, and you know fistfights might happen more a little bit more frequently than you might see in Chai Town. I would definitely use the words rugged and surly when describing those people. There you go, rugged and surly. I like that, especially since they're like the hard bitten kind of Canadians of the north, not the soft Torontoans of Laszlo or whatnot. Nobody likes Toronto, so it's okay. Apologies to any uh, easily offended Canadians. <laughs> uh, Which is funny because my comment is straight from a Canadian friend of mine. He's from Ontario, and he straight up, I was like, what, "What's up with this? Everybody hating Toronto?" He goes, "He just went on a, he went on a probably what I call a ten minute rant about Toronto, and by the end of it, I didn't know why he was mad at them. It was very confusing." <laughs> uh, so, uh, so CS Ironheart, uh, lots of wilderness. The city of iron, uh, you know, com- small towns and communities available as like with a lot of uh, rifts earth in the populated belt of the zone of humanity, I guess it's called. Um, and uh, anything else uh, there possible to explore that we haven't already covered? Well, it's real close to things like the pirate kingdoms out of Montreal and it's close to Quebec, which would give you access to things there. And it does give you a, a pretty good base of operations and heading into deeper parts of Canada to go deal with whatever you would need to deal with out there. I mean, it depends on the kind of game you're running. I mean, with us, it's a lot of, on EU, it's a lot of mercenary groups, so they don't have a lot of reasons to go out to deep Canada, because, I mean, unless they're going to go protect, like, loggers or miners or something, it's it's not much out there from what I gather. <laughs> um, kind of but like it, much today. True. But it does give it gives an interesting place to possibly run adventures, even if it's just in Ironheart. Because, like you said, there's there's a wealth of things that are probably buried after the cataclysm there that need to be dug up. Yeah. So the so we have uh, the the state itself, which I mean, it's kind of limited, uh, although you know, uh, in 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 its defined features. Although there's plenty of room there for for GM creativity and its proximity to a lot of things that are potentially uh, gold mines for adventure. So that is a, a good overview for our savages who may not have a coalition war campaign, main book, or if it's on Ultimate Edition, to pick up the snippets about CS Ironheart 
that are kind of sprinkled throughout the different source and world book. Sprinkled is definitely a word I would use to describe where it's at. So I think before we tackle the adventure spotlight, let's go to a, what seems to be like a, I don't know, a question that comes up annually. And that is, uh, what makes a good pick character background? Uh, since you have so many characters, I think I'm going to let you, uh, you know, have free reign on this one. And then I'll give you my feedback regarding uh, character backgrounds from the GM's perspective. Because uh, from my perspective, I'm, I'm the one who authorizes or however you want to call it, uh, accepts uh, and, and passes through new characters into active status on them. Um, give, us your, give us your insights. As, uh, what makes a good character background? Well, funny thing is, I uh, was recently talking with Maniacal Laugh, uh on the site and he wanted, he actually wanted to join us today, but he had something he had to do, but he uh, sent me a list of, you know, notes he'd like me to talk about too. And the humor thing is I'm looking at his notes on character backgrounds and almost every one of them hits something I was thinking of. So this, uh, this will definitely be an easier run for me. Um, character backgrounds, they're usually first and foremost, they're a pain because you initially have to go, what am I making? Cause it's really easy to go, okay, I'm making an OCC. That's the character. But then you got to go, well, why? Why is the character? Because that's really what a character background is. It's the why. It's not the who, the where, the what. It's the why. And you need things like personal hooks, family, friends, employers, significant others, enemies, anything. Something that makes you seem human. Because without these things, you're basically building a robot. Which, I guess if you're building a robot, you're still going to have some personal hook because you're going to have creators. And this is a possibility of riffs. <laughs> yeah. After that... You kind of need to fill in, why is your character acting the way it acts? Like, do you have insanities? Are you, do you want to give him a certain type of attitude? Because that gives you, something in your background is what shaped your character into being what it is. Like, my character James, he's he's a racist. He's a dyed-in-the-wool coalition supremacist. And if you look at his background, his background reflects that. His parents and family were killed by DBs. He was brought up by Desmond Bradford in one of his many little projects. And it turned him into the coldly weird calculating individual he is. Ironically, it also covers another part of it where now at this point he wants to kill Bradford because he knows that Bradford is a threat to everything in his life. And because of his background, I figured that out. And then, you know, it, it continues on. Like, you need a reason for being a PC. Why did your character become a, a scientist or a cybernet or a, a wizard or, you know, whatever? You didn't just go, I'm just, that's what I am. Because you got to have some reason. And even if it's something as simple as, that's what my parents told me I needed to do. I mean, at least that's part of your background. And, and just, then, just to interrupt and toss in two cents for the savages. Uh, this includes, like, edges and hindrances in uh, the savage world system. Uh, this, along with like what we use on EU, which is like uh, insanities, uh, these are things that can really, uh, really help you define the character as an identity and a person, as opposed to just a set of... Exactly. Actually, it was part of the note here, and I forgot to mention it. <laughs> and then the final point is, you got to have something that makes you special. Because everybody, though, they may seem like they're the, the common dregs of humanity. When you look at them as individuals, they all have something unique about them. It may be something as simple as they walk with a limp, but then you got to explain why do they limp? I have a I have a couple of friends who I got into gaming, and 
they would they would make combat characters, which is fine because they're the easiest ones to start playing. But they would start like they would get they would fall asleep during game because there's no combat because they didn't know what to do. So finally, I found the, found the best question to ask a, a player when they're like that, and it was, "What does your character want to do during his downtime? Does he have a hobby?" And nine times out of ten, it works. They they go, "Well, yeah, I should have a hobby," and then they think about their hobby, and then eventually they start working that into the character. And during their downtime, they're looking to do their hobby. Sometimes it goes a little overboard, and that's all they want to do. But but it's a working progress. Hashtag tinkerers. Hashtag skill monkeys. Like my friend Andy, who was playing a D and D character, and he was a fighter, and he couldn't think of anything. And I was like, "Well, what's your hobby?" He goes, "I think I want my character to collect jewelry." And I went, "Okay, let's run with it." So every time we had downtime, he was checking out jeweler shops. He was looking into leads for lost and interesting jewelry, and it it added to his adventuring because he became a very interesting character after that. Yeah, it's a the. The outside of the realm of what you do when you're on screen doing what your like archetype does, that kind of helps define a lot of what makes a character a character and not just that set of statistics. I also find the insanities, quirks, edges, hindrances, things also add greater depth as well, just because it can often, like if it's a like a physical hindrance or something like that, that, that can add depth like across the board but if it's like a psychological issue that helps define the character how they interact with other people uh and how they interact with their environment so like with my one character jezebel she has haplophobia which is like and like she has an aggressive hysterical reaction when that phobia is triggered and haplophobia is the uh fear of being touched so like if somebody just as casually as, uh, you know, grips her by surprise by the elbow or something to get her attention, she might turn around in a screaming fit of panicked rage and deck them in the face or shoot them, <laughs> you know, just absolute, completely irrational response to a very mundane thing, which is kind of the definition of an insanity. Yeah, I have a... I- character drake he's very similar in the concept of having a hysterical reaction to things he because he's the character when i built him i built him as a guy who basically all he's built to do is survive that's how his teachers taught him that's how his life has become so when he sees acts of cruelty and things like that he starts losing his mind and stole the concept from my roommate who made a paladin who basically said he saw black and that's uh, every time I go into that mindset, my character thinks the line, I see, I hear black and I have no mercy. And that's when the rest of the group knows, oh crap, Drake's about to lose his stuff and start stabbing people in the face, which is pretty much exactly what happens every time. Uh, so like a, a pragmatist with a serious uh, issue. Yeah, I, I get it. Yeah, he's not quite right in the head. It's, it's, it's okay. <clears throat> but yeah, I find the uh, motivating factors to be uh, the biggest thing for me when I'm when I'm looking over a background or something like that for G as a as a GM uh, as the guy who it's okay so because the biggest problem you have on you ever have on play by post is players flicking out because they lose interest in the character well the biggest reason that happens is because isn't because the GM doesn't make good stories or although these things are always some level of a of a potential uh problem right they're always possible uh, and it isn't they don't act as a team um, that 
happens too, but it's more often than not because they didn't really create a character. They created a set of statistics and they didn't get uh, emotionally attached to identity that they have created. And so you get, you know, uh, when, when you're, when your character's not, uh, not attractive or repulsive even, but interesting, when your character isn't interesting, you just, um, you give, it's, it's less compelling. It's, um, you find less motivation to sit down for 20 minutes and get into character and think about uh, what would be my reaction to this situation that the GM has put me in. And so you end up with a flip because when you're not motivated and you're not attached, it's hard to have fun. If you're not having fun, what the hell are you so? Now, on my last point for this, this is something that's not in any of my notes, but it makes for... It, it's a two-sided sword on this. As a player, it's something I don't really want to do, but I it has to be done. And as a GM, I love when players do do this and that's leave me things in your background that i can use i love having reoccurring villains i love having people who want to bother you amen because if i can find something in your background to write an adventure for the next time i'm cool with it i will give you your spotlight on it there's a certain player in one of my games who has something in his background that is absolutely fantastic and i told you i'll tell you what originally i was writing the whole adventure for somebody else they flaked Okay, cool, whatever. I just started rewriting the adventure. I'm like, you know what? I'll just take his background and I'll fix it. And in the end, it's going to give him a really hard choice by the end of the adventure that he can decide to keep on with the status quo that he's got or go on a new route. And I really look forward to seeing what happens. But it's because he had this in his background that I went, yes, I can work with this. Yeah, this is uh, this is one of the best things. you know. And in the world of Rifts, you have... Often uh, the characters have been traumatized at some point in their life, in their past. And so that means they generally have an enemy or a villain figure in their life. And so I think uh, the first and best example I got of myself was uh, with Sir Ronneth, Heroes for Hire. He had, like, like, he had his mother in his background. He had his father in his background. He had, and that, there was like an interracial elven kind of component there, right? And there was this antagonist who was responsible for their deaths. And, you know, complete, you know, facing down that, that antagonist, uh, defeating him. And that, that was a big step towards his own entire character story development arc, which, you know, I mean, that was one of his big character life goals, right? And facing down this who ruined his family and getting justice. And so after having done that, you know, that's like, ooh, hey, that's a possible lead in for you know because he's half-assed guardian elf so or was and so you know that leads into well how, what does asgard think about this because it was an agent of asgard and it just led to a, a long spiral which ended with him meeting the the norse pantheon and odin and getting impaled upon the on the world tree and becoming a full uh, asgardian elf and all the good stuff it was good stuff I've had it happen once with one of my characters on EU so far, and it was Maniacal Laugh who did it for me. I had in my in my Cyber Knight's background uh, the man who saved him after his village was burned down, but the guy didn't raise him. He just sent him off to his master to go get trained. Well, lo and behold, years later, I run into him as a bad guy, and, and bad guy, I guess, is is really a hard term. He was he became a thief, and by the end of it, it was literally Drake and his and his 
former savior fighting each other in a muddy field where neither one of them could hit each other because they're, they're I'm, I'm pretty sure Monocle Lab just literally took my character sheet and copied it. But, you know, hey, it's cool. <laughs> and by the end of it, I, I, I managed to get one lucky blow, and it was a nat 20, and I just knocked him out. And I had my choice. I could I could kill him and stop him from being what he is, or I could let him go. And I chose to let him go because, you know, he saved me, so I owed him that. And it was it was kind of an emotional point, and I enjoyed that. And I'm glad that, uh, as a GM, that Monica Laugh went and dug that up for me, even though it wasn't the main part of the quest. It just happened to be a nice addition to what we were doing. And and we should never underestimate the, the importance of things like that or of family. Because, I mean, if you just look at, like, uh, the, the MCU, a lot of it's about family. You know, uh, were you my mentor or were you uh, or, or are you related to me? Literal family relations, right? And you get a lot of that. And, boy, that is fertile ground for story development and uh, character development. Especially, uh, also, you know, uh, romantic interests and stuff like uh, there's a because of uh, uh, just kind of things that happen in game. There's actually a cross-dimensional uh, storyline for my character regarding another character played by an entirely different uh, player, obviously, in a, in another dimension who happened to know her before she got rifted over to Rift. So it's like a I don't know, a little Pulp Fiction-y in its uh, temporal aspect. But uh, it's, you know, romance is a, it's a big motivator, uh, potentially. So, but got to handle it with care and uh, and work with it uh, maturely. Or tongue-in-cheekly, because that other dimension, we also had a, an incestuous uh, relationship between uh, a Marine and his sister-wife. So, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a lot of room there, but always make sure you uh, have the right, uh, the right kind of player to do those one of the greatest characters ever built i swear <laughs> the dumb jarhead incestuous redneck badass he was, he was I'm an amazing character oh yeah i miss, I miss that player a lot all oh, right so this uh, i guess is since we're talking about adventures and stuff uh, it's kind of a good segue to our our last subject and that is uh the adventure spotlight uh, and i happen to receive some notes from monique laugh who also could not be here uh regarding adventures in mad uh, for the savages who don't know anything about Madhaven, it's one of the later world books that covers Manhattan, now known as Madhaven. The place is a goddamn nightmare. Um, and fertile ground for all kinds of traumatizing and trying. What, what did you want to contribute? Oh, well, I happen to actually be in that adventure, so I can talk a whole lot about it. <laughs> okay. and oh, so you're, you were in, oh, one of your characters is in AAP, the group AAPS. Specifically that Cyberknight who goes crazy occasionally, yeah. Alrighty, so uh, so give us a brief rundown. Why did you guys go to Mad Haven uh, and the gist of it? Well, the adventure all started due to the team leader, a guy named by, going by the name of Royal X, uh, getting a message from an old friend, family friend of his who wanted us to hire us to do a job. So... Basically, the job was he wanted to go and look for a specific thing in Madhaven. The price was good, and the whole those two knowing each other made it a little easier. Even though it was kind of a weirdly strained relationship due to a sister being involved, and it was kind of funny. So we made our we started to make our way there, and we already knew that there was going to be a problem from the start because the first thing that happened is we're attacked on the way to the to the rift to get there. 
uh, we were attacked by some uh, Mystic Knights, or maybe Mystic Knights. We're not sure. It might have been Knights of the White Rose, but I have a feeling they were just regular Mystic Knights, which they messed up our vehicles even before we got through the door. But we got through the door, and we ended up in uh, probably one of the safest spots we could find in Manhaven, which was the ruins of an old consecrated church. From there, we started to try to branch out to find out where we were going. And it was kind of humorous, because we could see the, literally the ghosts surrounding us, and it being dangerous. So we all went and tried climbing higher to look for things, and some mishaps happened. And I landed in uh, an Onion Head's garden which probably could have ended up in a fight, except for I wasn't going to try to fight a guy in his own garden. That's just silly. But I also have a bad feeling he probably would have beat me up. They're actually not that they're not that nice when it comes to fighting. <laughs> uh, long story short, though, we, we kept going. Now, funny thing is, is one of the players is starting to have these psychic outbursts, and it's all due to her connection to the god Isis. But basically, every time she has one of these outbursts, anybody within a certain distance blacks out. So, and they started happening quite frequently. Like, I want to say, like, every 10 minutes we were getting blasted. And that was a little annoying, but it's a random encounter, and it's what it does. Along the way, we managed to befriend some Madhaven mutants, which are a very strange group of things. And we did this by fighting bandits who were trying to kill them. Now... We lucked out. These happen to be one of the more nicer groups of Manhaven mutants because there's a few that you basically talking to them is just asking them to beat you up. They helped us get across town basically to go and do stuff, which then none of those psychic outbursts happened again. And then we got happened upon by undead. Luckily, a few members of the team were still awake because it doesn't always knock you out. You have a saving throw and a lot of people fail it. But it was kind of neat because... Um, Monaco Laugh let us the, let the people who were unconscious play the bad guys for the fight, and we got to watch our little skeleton people get beat up all over the place. It was kind of humorous. Eventually, we ended up in the garden, which, if you haven't read Madhaven, is where the Knights of the White Rose, a offshoot branch of the Mystic Knights, live. And from there, they kind of gave us the hint as to what we needed to do, which was to go and help Isis fight a battle which ended up with us going into some alternative past. And that's where we're at currently in the adventure. All in all, the, the whole Madhaven thing had a lot of great parts to it, and it, it definitely showcased what to do and what not to do in a situation like that. So some of the notes I got were basically how to create uh, an adventure regarding uh, Madhaven. Some of, the, some of this uh, I can see as being very setting-specific. Uh, creating the oppressive atmosphere. ML suggests uh, constant psychic vomit, weird weird stuff, visions, distant noise, always something or tainted in every GM book. Uh, so that's that's one. Uh, as well as uh, constant encounters, mostly random, and then never a moment's rest in order to create a heightened sense of tension in the environment. And then, if you're good about it, uh, being able to tie the random encounters, which kind of serendipitously happens sometimes and works out. As a GM, you're like, that happens. Hey, that really so, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, one of the, like, it was one of the things he managed to do for this particular part of the adventure. Um, yeah, and uh, he also uh, noted uh, creating contrast between like the restful periods. I imagine were probably few and far between. And uh, you know that is actually a good Annie. Give your moments where they can catch their breath. That will give them an opportunity to kind of see things in perspective. It's like, oh hey, we finally have a night where we camp, and it seems like. 
maybe we won't be attacked at night. These things are create it, it kind of defines the environment when you actually get a a, a moment of peace that's been so rare. <clears throat> definitely, definitely was a was a key point in it. Um, he also suggests uh, deciding on setting elements setting as need for, of course, by post. Uh, it doesn't accommodate everything. Um, uh, setting up a fight, but leaving the door open to negotiation regarding the, which really like that when it happened. Uh, it's not all that frequent. Oftentimes the gun bunnies want to play in character a little bit uh, more desperately than they want to create a good story. Yeah, Maniacal F actually he was talking to me about this, and he he found it very interesting that we avoided a lot of combat by just talking to people. But then if I look at the group that I'm in, this group is more prone to talking than it is to shooting or stabbing people. Now, if you came at us fight like if they came at us directly fighting, that's what they got. They got a fight. But almost all the encounters where we talked our way out of it, it started off at a distance where we could talk. It wasn't openly threatening, wasn't a problem. And we were generally we're generally easygoing individuals in the group, so it was a lot of well, what do you need? We have some stuff we can give if you're willing to give us something in exchange. It was a lot of mutual benefit. He also uh, brings up a point that uh, I think it's useful in any kind of storytelling whatsoever. And that is, um, phrases it badly, so I'm just... And that is the mental... The, the contrast between that which is bad and that which is ugly. And so sometimes we conflate the two, very typical of people, right? But sometimes that ugly thing might actually be an ally, a very good. But you also have, you know, the actual monsters out there that also happen to be ugly. But sometimes it's better to have the the monster be something. So this is where we get Femmes Fatale and stuff like that. It's lovely uh, juxtaposition of the aesthetics of something versus the moral quality. So I, I love seeing that when it's done. Absolutely fantastic. You don't want to do it often because otherwise then you're just feeding tropes but throwing that in there on occasion to mix things up there's guessing and also keeping the character from just resolving to combat at all times this is definitely true it, it, it a lot of what we were dealing and the way monocle would point out the adventure is is interesting because you can almost sometimes tell who was good and who was bad by the way they talk to you because you know, your atypical bad guy is going to have a certain bit of condescendingness to it. Whereas, it may be ugly, but it talks to you in a friendly way. It's likely probably still friendly, just ugly as sin. Like Metamorphs, they're they are not pretty in any sense. They look like I don't know. Somebody threw a metal mannequin through a garbage disposal. Level of ugh. So yeah, the the aesthetics of characters one bit ang- one big angle to keep your mind. Right. Uh, another thing is uh, the, just the ad inside. Of, uh, of being a GM, keeping track of um, how to add a new PC in the middle of adventure, that can be a giant pain sometimes. Sometimes uh, in air spaces like Mad Haven, wait a minute, so how is this character alone and surviving in this environment? Because, holy crap, and what are they doing there alone? Or if they're not alone, who are the end of their NPCs? Why are they there? What is their role in relation to stuff like that? And then, of course, uh, keeping forward momentum going. That's, you know, you want, you don't want too much dead time. So like those brief respite of peace, you want to make them occasional so that the, the uh, action keeps moving. So, you know, uh, you you have uh, instances of uh, this kind of thing happening in the adventure? Uh, yeah, actually, we had two new characters and one flake. 
or was it three? It was three new characters. I apologize, and two flakes. And in the course of it, he he did a very good job of introducing them in such a way that we it didn't feel like it was just forced. Even though we knew it was forced because that's what he had to do. He'd just get a new player in, especially in a weird spot like that. Like uh, we picked up a mercenary named. Uh, Oh god, my brain's shorting out his name. We picked up a mercenary who happened to be traveling with a bunch of bandits. He didn't realize they were bandits because he had done already lost his mind. He was possessed they were all possessed by entities at that point. And during one of the many psychic screams that happened, uh he got knocked basically loose, bleeding from the ears, and suddenly had a rational thought to himself for the first time in a few days. And eventually he joins us and it worked out really good with him, at least until the player couldn't get along with anybody in the group, and, and that was a rough story. Um, then we had another player. Actually, to be honest, all but one of them is flaked. Uh, we had one who ended up working with the Knights of the White uh, Rose, who it was really cool because she came in and introduced us to them, basically. But then she quickly dropped out of the game after that. And then the last one is uh, uh, the newest guy, who he happened to accidentally show up in their area. And it was kind of neat because he's weird. He's a weird kind of religious character. And it fit with the one. There's a, a out of the book NPC who is super religious named Gabriel, who the two of them got along swimmingly (laughs) and he got introduced to the group. And now he's running around with us where we're at. And it's kind of, it's fun, but like, like it says, it's sometimes it's a pain to get a new player in, and it's also sometimes a pain to write a new a player out. Like I have that problem in some of my games, and I can only imagine that losing so many characters in one run is. I mean, I've seen games where literally no none of the original players made it to the end of the game. <laughs> so, yeah, that that does happen. Uh, it, was, it was like when we lost from the Galactic game. I mean, that was a, a big moment because I mean. It was easy enough to write him off because it's a military game where you're like, oh, get transferred. But, I mean, we've been referencing back to him ever since. Not constantly, but on a gate and not a couple weeks. We actually communication past character. You know, they, they're the effect of the character who's been impactful is long lasting. Yeah, I was humored when I started joining that game. I still see them writing about, like, where he was from and things about him. It, it, like from his, it's stuff from his story, but it's not about him specifically. Like they're talking about the what was it, the Shadow Valley or the Twilight Valley is where he's from. Twilight Valley. And I was humored because I saw it on a player who I know didn't game with him, and I was just like, "Wow, really?" Yeah, I mean, this is this is the uh, this is the damage that can happen when a when a player decides to leave, and they've had a really impactful character. I still pester him every now and then on now and then on Steam to come on back, but. As well as maybe RPGs entirely. But it happens, even though he's a really good writer. Yeah, he was a very good writer. And and I wouldn't call it the kind of damage that a player can do. Sometimes what may be considered damage is actually very good for a game. It's it's building. Because, let's be honest, how much is really written about a Rismal? <laughs> yeah, it's like a handful of paragraphs from Wayne Bro and built an entire setting. So I think him adding that concept of the Twilight Valley and brother sister wife combo and all that stuff it it makes for a, a very interesting story yeah you got to add got to add depth and dimension to a setting otherwise a trope a type it's played out it's a hell of a lot less fun than something weird contradiction stuff like that the things that are so common in life all those messy parts of, that often uh, add a lot of the flavor to 
All right. So is there any uh, any other uh, points about uh, the adventure in Madhaven that you'd like to get out there? Uh, other than in the current part we're in, we've just found out that there's an alternate reality version of ourselves that has done something very bad. That was kind of interesting. But I, I think it's not even that it was an alternate reality version of Because Medical Laugh also runs one of the uh, the Heroes Unlimited games. And I think he, in a in a joke, ran a group of of bad guys with our name in place and he's just referencing it in our game for our amusement <laughs> well that's creative all right well i think that is uh, that pretty much covers all of our topics uh be sure to uh, uh post uh, your comments uh, suggestions to uh player spotlight suggestions stuff like that listener topics um to the Patreon page on any post you feel like it. Uh, it's a podcast post. Let us know what you like, what you don't like. And uh, until next time, I think we have a game. Sure do. All right. Well, until next time, have a great night. This is Lloyd and John signing off for Radio Free Murktown number 33. Have a good night, all. Good night, everybody. This has been Radio Free Murktown, a WMRK production. Contact us at RadioFreeMurktown at gmail.com and support Radio Free Murktown on Patreon for as little as $2 per month. Visit us on the web at ExplorersUnlimited.com for more information.